At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 209, The Outcast. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, The Outcast, the one where the Enterprise visits a planet of seemingly asexual beings, and yet still, Riker interests someone in the full Riker. <laughs> there is just no stopping that man. Nature will find a way, Ken. Uh, man, Riker will find a way. <laughs> Nature doesn't even have to be there. In a vacuum, in, in like a pocket of <laughs> null space, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, Riker's going to... Riker's got something to show you. John's got trivia for this episode coming up in just a moment. But first, a few words about a bunch of starships. Uh, as we record right now, I am locked in a standoff with a Klingon bird of prey. And you can be as well with the official Star Trek Starships collection. Here's how it works. You subscribe and you get two ships a month, tiny ships, from the original series through the Kelvin timeline and beyond. It's not just the ships you get, though. You also get a magazine filled with production notes, design notes, and in-universe information about the ship. And you get a digital download of the magazine, so you can keep the magazine as close to new as possible. And you get all that for 20 bucks per ship. Two ships a month, two magazines a month, two digital magazines a month. It's 40 bucks a month. And we forgot to mention the stands. Yeah, you get stands. You're not just leaving the ship laying around on its side, you know, waiting no, for... No, you just have a floor full of half-turned-over ships and That'd stuff be crazy. on the middle. Of, yeah, you don't want that. Yeah, no, they come yeah. with little stands as well, so they always appear to be in flight, which is kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. And you also get extra surprises along the way. That's not even the stand thing I'm talking about. Uh, the, <laughs> the longer you stay subscribed, uh, the more sort of cool little extras you get. And you can start the whole thing off at a crazy low price. You can get the Enterprise 17... O1D, as featured in episodes like The Outcast and I can't remember any other name, Times Squared. <laughs> Times Squared, that's an Angel One. I think it might have been in that one, sadly. I'm going to go with Justice. Justice, And I'm going right. to go with Haven. Okay. And, and I'm going to go with uh, Shades of Grey. You get the Enterprise 1701D uh, for $4.95 uh, to try the whole thing out. So the address to do that is st-starships.com slash mission log. That's st-starships.com slash mission log. So when you try it out, it not only supports this show, it makes you the commander of your own personal fleet. That address again is st-starships.com slash mission log. 
And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Hey, if you want to get in touch with us, we would love if you got in touch with us. And so now I'm going to tell you how you can do that. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and all kinds of other fun stuff, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we head into trivia for The Outcast. Ken, today's show is written by Jerry Taylor, a name who needs no introduction right now. Now, she was anxious to write something with topical social impact, and uh, and it seemed to work. Um, we all know that Star Trek generated a lot of fan letters anyway, and this episode was no different. Um, not all of it praising the show, though. She uh, <laughs> claims that she got mail from all ends of the spectrum and all political points of view picking apart and discussing this particular episode. But we have to put this episode into context. So after 25 years, Star Trek was finally going to tackle the issue of gay rights. Go back and listen to the Mission Log interview with David Gerald, in which he talks about Gene promising to have a gay character. Well, this ain't it. But but it's a different angle on the topic. Uh, but keep in mind, that story uh, that David Gerald talks about, Blood and Fire, that was an AIDS allegory using regulin blood, uh, blood worms as the disease. And it would have also have happened to have a gay character subplot. This episode was something very different. Now, Michael Piller said, quote, we didn't just want to blow off the issue by showing a same-sex couple holding hands in the corner. And Rick Berman said, quote, We thought we had made a very positive statement about sexual prejudice in a very Star Trek way, but we still got letters from those who thought it was just our way of washing our hands of the homosexual situation. So mm. I want to get all that kind of done up front to present some context for what we'll be talking about today. The episode was directed by Robert Shearer. Of course, we've mentioned his long and illustrious career as a director. His first TNG episode was A Measure of a Man, and he would go on to direct some for uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. He was a fan of this episode, too, not just because of its important messages, but because he got to direct intimate one-on-one -on -one scenes that really highlighted the work of the actors. So, uh, what do we learn in this episode? Well, the Federation was founded in 2161. We learned that from this episode. So, a little over 200 years before this particular story takes place. And we have Mike Okuda to thank for putting together the timeline. He used Balance of Terror, of course, as a reference point regarding the Romulan War and when, after that time, the Federation may have been founded. Let's see. We also have the Shuttlecraft Magellan, now with phasers. Hopefully, we all know who Ferdinand Magellan was, and uh, we already heard about the shuttle in Darmok. Uh, Worf was trying to retrieve Picard with it. And uh, the Janai shuttle, we've actually seen before, too. It was the shuttle used in the final mission. And remember, that was reused after heavy redress in a matter of time as the time pod. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Jordy has a beard. Uh, the producers were not crazy about it, but LeVar really liked it. And uh, there is a missing scene 
Uh, Riker and Soren at one point are kind of flirting and engineering and making dinner plans, and Krite overhears this. And it's why when Riker goes to meet Soren, it's Krite waiting in her room. Guest stars. Now we have Megan Cole as Noor. Megan has been making a fair number of TV guest appearances since the 80s with recurring roles on The Practice and ER. We will see her again twice more in Deep Space Nine. Uh, we have Callan White as Krite. Now, Callan has worked steadily in soap operas, both daytime and nighttime varieties, since the early 70s. She has also appeared on L.A. Law, The Practice, Chicago Hope, and more. And finally, Melinda Culia as Soren. Now, Melinda started her professional career as a model and then found her way into commercials. If you want to have some fun, search her name and Burger King. And remember that for a brief time in the early 80s, they had a revolting roast beef sandwich. Uh, but it's fun to see her in there working behind the counter, along with another up-and-comer, Ali Sheedy, in those commercials as well. Um, you will also find her commercials for Pert, in which her dry, fuzzy hair is tamed. Thank goodness. And uh, But over the course of her acting career, Melinda has appeared in numerous TV guest roles. Uh, Fantasy Island, Chicago Hope, The X-Files, Jake and the Fat Man, to name just a very few. And she had recurring roles on Family Ties, St. Elsewhere, and Knott's Landing. And now, most importantly, Ken, do you remember way back when, that first season of the A-Team, there was a woman, Amy, who was part of the team. And then she just kind of disappeared. Well... That was Melinda. She was part of the A-team. Amy? Amy. Is that what the A stood for? <laughs> yeah, the, the A-team, and then they just had to, well, we don't have Amy anymore, so but we'll, <laughs> gonna, we'll keep the A. <laughs> it's going to be the Amy team all the way through, and then just, yeah. Oh, no, she's gone. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, A is for something. Boom, boom, boom. Ready for action. Nip it in the bud. We never relaxing. Outcast is everlasting. Not clashing. Not at all. But see my friend went to do a little acting. Prologue. The Janai people have contacted the Enterprise for some help finding a lost shuttle. It couldn't have gone too far, but there's no trace of it anywhere. A probe is launched in the direction of some unexplained neutrino emissions, and it disappears too. Oh, yeah. Uh, interesting thing about the Janai, they have no distinctive gender. They are androgynous, just in case that might be relevant. Act 1. Time for a science. We have an unusual phenomenon here, null space. That's the theory, anyway. Not really a black hole, but an undetectable anomaly that does a good job of absorbing energy from things that get too close, like a shuttlecraft. The Janai craft is probably still okay, and Commander Riker, along with one of the Janai, Soren, will devise a way to get an Enterprise shuttle in there with enough energy to rescue the others. Sound good? Riker's ready to go, but Soren insists on piloting the shuttle. Riker has more experience with Starfleet shuttles, so they'll team up. Team up? What does that mean? Maybe I'll show you sometime. In the shuttle bay, the two review the Magellan, their craft for the mission. They'll fire a few blasts toward the anomaly and chart where they disappear, thus giving a pretty good approximation of the size and location boundaries of the null space. On board, Soren is a natural at the controls, and Riker is impressed with her skills. Oops, uh, her isn't the right word. Riker admits that it's tough to discuss anything without gendered pronouns, and Soren gets it. It's just the way they are. 
A potentially tense situation is remedied by some lighthearted conversation over lunch and ten forward. The topics range from split pea soup recipes to keeping warm by sleeping with a friend to Riker trying to explain human gender differences to Soren. You know, the usual stuff like men being generally stronger in the upper body and, you know, uh, they don't bear children. As for emotional differences, Riker kind of pleads the fifth. Now it's Soren's turn. When the Janai dance, the taller one leads, and yes, there are conflicts, even if there aren't different genders. And then Soren probes a little more, asking Riker what kind of woman he likes. He avoids the obvious answer, all of them, and goes for intelligence, and someone who will laugh at his jokes, to which Soren actually lets out a, a little chuckle. These two seem to really be getting along, until Krite, one of the other Janai, shows up. Then things just get really tense, like a parent has just busted two teenagers who were making googly eyes at each other. Soren just takes off after a very formal goodbye, and Krite seems to be judging the whole brief interaction. Act 2. Riker and Soren launch the shuttle toward Null Space and start their work, firing phasers and tracking where they disappear. It seems to be working. They should have a good map of where the anomaly sits. In their downtime... Soren asks what Riker has probably waited a lifetime to hear. Tell me about your genitals. Despite the awkward start, it's really a question about mating rituals, dating, etc. Riker answers in pretty dry terms, but Soren pushes for more and even wonders if human and Janai would be sexually compatible. But that's not going to happen. The Janai used to be gendered, but they evolved out of it. Genders are primitive. The very thought is repulsive. Riker kind of brushes it off, but before they can talk much more, the shuttle itself is damaged by the null space around them. With engines failing, Soren is hurt and is beamed directly to sickbay. Later, Dr. Crusher proclaims that Soren will be all right, but the real question Soren has about Beverly is what it's like to be female. You know, hair, makeup, but more importantly, gender equality. Beverly says, sure, they may look different on the outside, but human genders are considered equal. And walks Riker. And does Soren look really happy to see him? She's ready to get back to work. Over a poker game, Worf is spouting off sexist Klingon presumptions about women, and then he lets loose with what's really bothering him. Ugh, the Janai with their gender neutrality and, and short haircuts and chic jumpsuits. Then Beverly drops a little gossip nugget that she thinks Soren might be attracted to Riker. Prepping the shuttlecraft for another go at their mission, Soren opens up about what's really going on. Yeah, the Janai are genderless, but not all of them. Some of them find that they may lean one way or the other, a little bit male or a little bit female. Soren is attracted to Riker, and she says that with the understanding that this would be a dangerous revelation on her planet. People like her are ridiculed, hidden, and ultimately cured through a kind of psychiatric therapy. She's known all her life who she really is. And she's seen the ridicule and abuse heaped on those like her, thus forcing her to live hidden among her own people. Soren really likes Riker. She doesn't want anything from him now other than for him to think about her story. Act 3, time to get the missing Janai shuttle. Riker and Soren pilot their shuttle Magellan into null space where everything is bright white, just like it was in the counterclock incident. There's the Janai shuttle, just as expected, and sensors can detect two life forms on board. 
Transporters having a very difficult time getting them beamed over to the Magellan, but they materialize on a second attempt. This has severely weakened the power systems of the Magellan, which means that when the four of them try to beam back to the Enterprise, there's just not enough power. Riker suggests moving every bit of power from all systems of the shuttle, navigation, life support, everything, through the transporter. It'll blow up the shuttle, but it's enough energy to get them all home. It works. As expected, the shuttle explodes, but Riker, Soren, and two unconscious Janai soon find themselves beamed into the safety of sickbay. Beverly is there to let them all know that the two rescued Janai will be all right. Picard is there, and so is Krite, who is all prickly and suspicious while offering a celebration for the heroes. Sure enough, a little later, Riker is on the surface at Janai, sitting outside the reception in his honor, alone, until Soren finds him. He wanted some fresh air, and she's glad to show him around the gardens. Exobotany is one of his passions, you know, so no better time than the present to go check out plants. Yeah, this is not about plants. Riker goes in for the kiss, and unlike a similar move on Beta Zed, this one lingers. Act 4, the Enterprise is just hanging out, still charting that section of null space. That gives everyone a chance to chill. Deanna just got a box of personal effects that belonged to one of her father's ancestors, and she's going through that when Riker comes to her quarters. He's got something on his mind. He's found someone, and he is seriously in love with her. But Deanna is super understanding? They'll always be friends, and they will always be part of each other's lives. Riker goes to meet Soren for dinner, but instead he finds Krite, who informs him that she knows what's going on. Soren is in custody. In a courtroom on Janai, Noor is interrogating Soren about the charge that she has violated Janai law and tradition by being gendered. Inbounds Riker to save the day. He straight up lies to the judge that it was he who pursued Soren because he didn't understand their ways. When asked by Noor, Soren says, no, that's not true. And she makes an impassioned speech expressing just who she is and about the injustices of a society that would condemn her. It's exactly the kind of speech that should end with rousing applause, maybe tears, but it doesn't work. The authorities take her away. Riker steps in, offering to give Soren asylum on the Enterprise. Noor explains that Soren will be treated and will be happy for it, that everyone on their planet wants to be normal. None of Riker's protests will be heard. Treatment will begin tomorrow. Act 5. Riker confides in Picard. He doesn't know what to do. And Picard can't really do anything. The prime directive and all. Riker is on his own with this one, and Picard offers a warning that he shouldn't do anything that would risk his career. Later in his quarters, Riker is visited by Worf with his plans to set up orange cones around Null Space. Riker is a little agitated, a little distracted. Worf knows what's going on, and he offers to help with an unannounced visit to Janai. He'll stay behind if Riker orders him, but Worf would rather go. After all, a warrior does not let a friend face danger alone. You know, just like that time I was in sickbay and all I wanted was for my friend to end my suffering, and I asked you, yeah, yeah, never mind, different story, different episode. So away they go. Worf and Riker have beamed down to Janai, and in short order they take down the guards who are around Soren. Riker takes her by the hand, saying they'll be out of there in no time, but something has changed. Soren says she can't go, that the whole thing was a mistake, and that she should have known better. She was sick, had terrible urges, and now she's better cured, if you will. 
She doesn't want to go with Riker. Doesn't see why she would want to be the way she was. And Riker is crestfallen. Back on the Enterprise, Picard has been waiting on Riker before proceeding to the Phelan system. With no more business on Janai, Riker is ready to leave. The end. All right, two things really quickly. Mm-hmm. Both of which involve legs. Oh, two, yeah, okay, two legs. It's, yeah. a, it, it's good to see Worf just walking around. Oh, just a, like, like no it ain't no problem yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. No, hey, none at all. You say, hey, remember that time I was paralyzed? I wonder if Worf remembers that time. <laughs> or the writers, for that matter. Uh, and the other thing involving legs, and I know we're, we're talking about gender or, you know, not. Mm-hmm. Could Riker affect a more stereotypically male sit <laughs> than the one that he had outside of the dinner with the Janai? Uh, well, the, the term is uh, manspreading, I believe. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking yeah. like, how do they direct him to do that? Like, okay, you know how you usually sit man, manly? Okay, like mm-hmm. times five. No, yeah. no, still not. I'll tell you what, pretend you're on a subway. <laughs> just that usually does it yeah super manly yeah that was crazy that was like crazy yeah. it's like it's like there had just been an earthquake and he was worried right <laughs> right hey uh real quick thing before we move along i in act two i said something about uh the janai using a kind of psychiatric therapy mm-hmm. i wanted to make sure that, that our audience understands that that that's my voice <laughs> saying that word in and the story, that's from my point of view. In the episode, it's called, they make up a word. They yeah. call it psychotectic therapy. But that, that's not a thing. Right. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, from our point of view, telling the story, <laughs> that it is a kind of psychiatric therapy. Right. So no letters, please. That's kind of funny, actually, right? Because they, they got a word for him. They got a word for her. They got mm-hmm. a word for shuttle. And they're mm-hmm. all the same as our words. Yep. But then you say, uh, wh- which one did you use? <laughs> psychiatric yeah because i, I yeah. all i've got now in my head is psychotactic yep i'm so going to embarrass myself someday <laughs> you, will. you will have you ever seen yeah. a psychotecticist yeah they're man i saw one they're... for a while maybe yeah. i don't know yeah a lot of training to be a psychotectic technician <laughs> tectation tick te- yeah whatever, whatever oh psychotectiatrist oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's right or a psychotactician <laughs> Um, all right. So uh, this is one of only a handful of times where I feel like the captain's log, particularly the opening captain's log, is written for the audience. And mm-hmm. it's not written in universe for the show. You know what I mean? So Picard says, quote, we have been contacted by an androgynous race, the Janai. And it was at that moment that I thought this would never be a captain's log. Right. It would have been we've been contacted by the Janai. Right. Full stop. Right. Full stop. <laughs> you know, so that that is absolutely tipping the hand. This should so be a game, though. A, a game? How, what, what's the game? This should so be a game. Okay. Uh, Captain's log. We've been contacted by a planet full of joggers, and you would say, <laughs> "Oh, that is mm-hmm. that is justice." Yeah, that is justice. There yeah. you go. Captain's log. We've been contacted by a planet commanded entirely by women. Oh, uh, 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 Angel One. Yeah. This there you go. Good. Yeah, this yeah. this could actually be fun. It's... Yes, ex- ex- except for the part where we're actually using. Gender and race and behavior <laughs> <laughs> to single people right. out. Otherwise, it's a hoot. Yeah, right, right. I, it's a little, I, I mean, of course, they, they don't make anything of it in the show, but it's just something that's like, okay, the, the writing then is specific to clue in the audience, you know? And every now and then, every now and then you do that. 
I'm not sure how you can say they don't make anything of it during the show because that's that's like a third of what the show is about, wouldn't you? No, say? I'm saying uh, no, no. I, I'm saying you you wouldn't make anything of it in in a captain's log. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, all right. Uh, let's talk about soup. Um, Why not? Riker said, oh, split pea soup is my father's recipe. And, and I kept thinking it's the one thing about him that doesn't fill me with resentment and anger. So I will enjoy this soup and push all other memories of my father out of my mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it gave his father something to do with his mouth so that he wasn't like, you know, saying something bad about Riker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Berating. If he's eating Riker, soup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's not spewing invective. Yep. Um, but the other thing is, I'm, I, I found myself hoping that his split pea soup was better than his eggs. Oh, it's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely got to be. Although, yeah. in fairness, he did say I gave somebody else the recipe and told them to program it into a machine that couldn't screw it up. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I, but who knows? Maybe Soren would go, wow, these are the best eggs I've ever had. Please make <laughs> these again. Well, yeah. she is flirting. So yeah, she right. might. You know, it's right. like that scene in Cold Miner's Daughter when he keeps eating the, eating the pie where Loretta Lynn had accidentally um, replaced the sugar with salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. He reached up. Yeah, right. And, and you know, Dew keeps eating it because he's trying to impress Loretta Lynn. Wow. By the way, I've oh, seen yeah. Coal Miner's yeah. Daughter a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. I said to somebody the other day on uh, on Twitter, yeah, we, we like the uh, deep cut references on our show. So Yeah. yeah there well, there, go. there goes one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, all right. So in this episode, we fire phases into nowhere. Yeah. Um, once again, not totally sure how this works. And, <laughs> you know, it, I think at one point they said there are only 50 kilometers from the edge of null space when they're in the shuttle. Um, so, yeah, not sure totally how it works. And, and what if we don't know what happens to those beams inside the anomaly? They might just keep going. And, you know, yeah, glad that it's not aimed right at that neutrino emission that could be a shuttle. <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> going to say we have the same problem here that we had in um – testing the phasers in conundrum or drilling the hole in power play yep like send a probe into null space which you know in fairness they don't actually know that there's null space there Mm -hmm. and of course it's actually not but it is but you get the idea Uh, but then they know that null space is there and they fire a phaser into it and the one thing they do know is that the shuttle is somewhere inside the null space right Again, I just couldn't help thinking, right. like, so they, they, oh, I think they'll be fine. Let's just fire phasers in there first. And then they go in, and it's like, oh, the shuttle probably would have been fine, except it's been ripped to shreds by phaser <laughs> fire. <laughs> it's like, well, we better make up some kind of story before we go back. Also, want to make out? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least it wasn't Worf coming up with a plan. Like, let's blow up about 50 photon torpedoes and just see what floats <laughs> to the top. <laughs> you know? That's a fun idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Riker, Riker with the uh, something to be said for a primitive experience. I imagine we'll come back to that. You I think? don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. But yeah, he's he's cranking up the Riker in this episode. <laughs> he is. He was like kind of he was like on a Riker level of about seventy, and then Soren shows up, and he's like at a Riker ninety eight for the rest of this. You know. <sighs> Yeah, we, we may come back to it. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's at peak Riker at a certain point. Um, so I actually like the way the conversation between Soren and Beverly is handled uh, about what makes women different, because we're kind of acknowledging to a 20th century audience that we're aware of superficial trends like hair and makeup. But we're also kind of tweaking the idea. You have to have Beverly say a line like in the past. 
women were considered weak and inferior, but that was a long time ago. Hint, hint to the audience, Mm -hmm. you know? This is another one of those points in the show where you just go, okay, well, if this really were an actual documentary about something taking place in the 24th century, probably wouldn't be playing out like this. But this is a TV show made in the latter half of the 20th century, so you kind of have to telegraph some things to the audience. And I, I think they chose just the right balance of that in that scene. Um, speaking of which, uh, to Worf, um, okay, so playing poker with wild cards is a woman's game uh, <laughs> because women are weak. Um, and they need help. Did you ever say that to Kellar's face? Yeah. I would love to know how that went down. Yes, or, or, any, <laughs> you know? or any Klingon female, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. really he probably, yeah. We, we'll come back to sort of that discussion at the poker table, I think. What's nice about that scene, I actually loved it's just a moment when Data poses the question, well, well why, you know, what, why would this be a problem? And then Deanna's just like, yeah, Worf. Tell us why. (laughs) Absolutely great. Absolutely great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Because the scene had to go on quickly, they let him off the hook. He's like, oh, all these wild cards. Yeah. um, Did you notice, by the way, Jordy, not Mm -hmm. at the poker game? No. Who would want him? Yeah. Because, you know, Jordy cheats at poker. Mm -hmm. We established that just last week. And then there's another poker game. And guess who's not at the table? Now, also later, I'm going to make a case for why I wish he had been at the table. Okay, but you know that's just a little uh, that's that's a little tease. That's a reason to stick around. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it funny that uh, Riker, you know, Deanna's in there opening up the the, the box from Beta Z, and Riker tells Deanna, "I have something on my mind," which honestly she should have noticed before he got to the door. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, she should be in there. He should have, like, opened the door and she should have said, like, oh, hey, I was just sitting here going through the stuff, but you're concerned. Yeah. You have got something on your mind. Yeah. Let's talk. <laughs> the first time ever he had to announce. They know each other well enough right now that, or at this point, that, you know, the door should have opened and she should have been like, who is she? <laughs> right, right. Because, I mean, she's been uh, around be him. Perfect. She's been around him enough, you know, in his various states mm-hmm. to, to you know, to know. Yeah. So, yes, for him yeah. to say. Although maybe it's part of the whole growing process. We've talked before about whether or not her ability to be a counselor is just predicated on her, you know, um, uh, borderline telepathic abilities, her ability to sense, her empathic abilities, I guess. Right. Or whether she's got some training there as well. I mean, certainly her training, mm-hmm. and I, I assume that she has a tremendous amount of training, certainly her training would require that he actually say what he needs to say. Sure. Well, yeah. That's part of making yeah. him a, a a better person. Comedy-wise, right. though, it would have been great if she <laughs> right. really, yeah. Great. What, what's your yeah. name now? Okay. Yeah. Hey, so here's an interesting question. Mm. So if you are an officer on the Enterprise and you don't get your way – Yes. Then you get to sort of leave the com badge and the uniform behind and go take on a personal mission. <laughs> I wondered if any other officer would still have a job at that point. And not only, not only does he just get to beam down. Like I understand you could say, like, hey, I'm not on duty right now. I can just beam down to the planet, hang out for a little while. Um, you know, they are a spacefaring society, so we don't have to worry about prime directive in that case. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing when you take down the Klingon who punches people in the face and knocks them out. Uh, we should remember that um, Picard, I think it was Picard, actually watched Worf kill Duras. 
mm-hmm. on the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and he's still there. Yeah, I'm guessing right. leaving the ship for an hour or two is fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> as long as it's not. I like, just you know, it, it comes back to it. If Reg Barkley mm-hmm. had decided he's going to kidnap somebody from Janai, <laughs> would would he still have a job? <laughs> well, it <laughs> depends. Know? Is Reg really in love? Oh, well, okay. Well, you, you make a good argument, Ken. I'm not sure I do, and yet that seems yeah. to be the argument that was made. Yeah. Man, uh, warning buoys. I know. Around null space. Orange cones. Does, does, Orange cones. So does null space... Okay, does anything in space stay where it is? The answer is no, right? Technically, no. Okay, yeah. so then yeah, null yeah. space doesn't stay where null space is or isn't. Right. So we have to figure out... At what rate the null space is moving, mm. and then mm-hmm. s- set the motivators on the orange cones to compensate? Right. I guess so. Yeah. yeah this actually leads to a bigger problem that I'm having with this episode. Okay. Um, I have to be that guy now. I have to be the, oh, no. the sci-fi nerd. Um, well, we are in a Star Trek podcast. Yeah, so. but this, I feel yeah. like I'm about to go 201 here. Okay. Um, so they're beaming out of null space using all mm-hmm. of the Magellan's power, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. pour one out for the Magellan, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If it turns up again, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> so so they're, they're using all of the power to the point that the Magellan is going to explode when this is over, right? Mm-hmm. So they beam out, the shuttle explodes, and they materialize in sickbay. Yeah. How is that process finishing? Mm. There's nothing there driving it on the other end anymore, right? They have no mm-hmm. contact with the Enterprise, so they're not in communication with the Enterprise. Good thing, by the way, that everybody was standing exactly where they weren't going to be beaming in, too. Yeah, just waiting. Very lucky. What do you think it's going to be like yeah. now? Do you think it would be now? Because I got stuff mm-hmm. to do. Can I just. Well, I, I don't want to <laughs> miss it, though. See, if I leave, I know as soon as I leave, they're going to beam in. All right, I'm just going to stand here and wait. Um, yeah. So. They have no contact with the communication or with with the enterprise. Rather, there's no communication there, so that means there's no chief engineer sort of like boosting the signal on the other end or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, I that feels like an inconsistency. And what really annoys me most is I have become that person. I'm that guy now, and I'm just like, <laughs> ah, that that's the thing that bothers me most in an episode full of things to bother me. Yeah, I think that might be the thing that bothers me most this week. Go like this. I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. Oh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. Oh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. In talking over, um, sex with Soren... Riker says, for humans, the sexual act brings a closeness and intimacy. Is that why Riker uh, offers the full Riker as often as he does? Is he looking for closeness and intimacy? Is, and I guess the other question I have is, is this, is, is this character development for Riker, or is this some writer saying, here's why people have sex? Um, is this a statement about humanity, or is this a statement about Riker? Um... Well, two things here. I, I think that it can be all of the above. Okay. It, it can be a statement about Riker. It definitely is a statement about human sexuality. Um, Riker also says there's something to be said for a primitive experience. Mm-hmm. So he, he's pretty much running the gamut, the full spectrum of what sexuality means to humans. Because, again, at a certain point, he's kind of keeping this academic with her. 
with, with Soren, right? Um, but I think there's another one of those places where Star Trek is just sort of painting with very broad brushes to say, here's how in the 24th century we're thinking about sex. Because we certainly know through the last five seasons of Next Generation, they've had all kinds of relationships, some more intimate than others, but not a lot of necessarily traditional settled down relationships other than Miles and Keiko. Mm -hmm. And we've certainly had things to say about how the Miles and Keiko relationship is depicted on screen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I don't doubt that Riker is probably getting some closeness and intimacy from Rikering everywhere. Um, Wait. But he's also having a primitive experience. So maybe Riker in that case is is the, the stand-in for a wide range of human sexuality. Are you rejecting the idea, though, that sex can just be sex? I mean, when you say it's a statement about um, human sexuality to say that it's about... Um uh, closeness and intimacy. No, no, no. I'm saying that's one part of a wide range. No, because when I asked you a minute ago, you yeah. said that was a statement about humanity. I mean, because because what it, what it reminded me of was like I had a friend, I had a friend who was kind of sleeping around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really fair to say that she was sleeping around, and it's actually quite possible that she wasn't sleeping around. It's quite possible that she was lying to herself about the feelings associated with this one individual. But she was having sex with this one individual. And another friend was really upset, said, you can't do that without feeling. You can't do that without feeling. Mm-hmm. And I sort of wondered about that. Like, uh, like, well, you can't do that without feeling. And I don't know whether I could or not. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the assumption that, well, well, you can't, like no one can, um, right. it struck me as kind of interesting. And then so for Riker to sit there and say, uh, for humans, the sexual act brings a closeness and intimacy. I would imagine that's true for some humans, and maybe it's true for all humans, but I've never sort of assumed that what I understood about sexuality was what was what everybody understood about sexuality. was. I mean, the, what's true for me is true for, for all of humanity, even though Riker seems to have decided um, whether he decided that himself or read it in a book. I don't know, but <laughs> he, he seems to have decided that what is true, like this statement about sexuality is true for all of humanity. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't read it that way. That 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 is a definitive thing. I, I read it as, you know, all these discussions around sex that Riker is having with Soren are, are for the most part, not about him specifically. He's painting with very broad strokes about a variety of experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he talks at first about just the reproductive process. So, and then, and she does as well. And certainly Riker is not engaging in sex for reproductive purposes. Right. So, um, I, I think it's valid for him to say that, you know, that is part of it. It can be part of it. I don't think we are meant to infer that that is, um, the be all end all for Riker or certainly for humanity at large. Judgy Judgelson, by the way, Mr. Whoa, doing it with a husk? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, really, Riker? Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> what if it were a particularly shapely husk? Then mm-hmm. would you be mm-hmm. would you be interested? Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I can't imagine a situation where Riker wouldn't be like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> would it be okay with the husk's significant other or, you know, whoever else right. is gonna be No? Okay, well, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I think a lot of what's important in this episode is dependent upon Riker's relationship with Soren. And I have to say that there's still a part of me that doesn't entirely buy it. Um, I, I think they are both good actors, and I think that the material they're given is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's that moment with Deanna, since we're just going on assumption, I, I guess, that everyone that Riker has had any kind of fling with up until now well, it was literally just a fling, and that's been totally cool with Deanna, but this is the first romantic relationship he's had since her. Hmm. That so that that's kind of the weirdness about this relationship that I don't totally buy, and why that scene with them, even though it is played well, the the Riker Deanna scene, it, it is played well. I just don't necessarily buy it, at least not in the very condensed context of this single episode. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's the problem of forty eight minutes, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, because mm-hmm. Carmen, um, the um, uh, yeah. Why can I never yeah, remember the name of the episode? Silicon she, Avatar. She was the, yeah, the colonist in right. Silicon Avatar. The colonist yeah. at the beginning of Silicon Avatar with whom Riker is saying, like, wow, you're going to build a home here, huh? Mm-hmm. I could see being interested in a home here. And he's not talking about the house. He's talking about Carmen. And yeah. so apparently there is something more there, although we we also, you and I discussed, I mean, maybe this is just the game they play every time. Like how she's right. able to justify fooling around with him is the thought that maybe one day he'll settle down and how he's able to justify fooling around with her is the thought that maybe one day he will. Yeah. I mean, it may just be like, you know, their particular dance, but we're given to understand that there's maybe a little bit more there. Now that's that's built on mm, two and a half minutes of interaction because then <laughs> right, she's right. sucked up by the crystalline entity before the whole thing yeah. is, uh, before we even get to the opening credits. Oh, actually, yeah, Carmen's gone. But yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a quick. I apologize. I think I, I interrupted you halfway through. But you're, you're right. I mean, I think it's it's the flaw of the 48 minutes. And yet you're not going to have this character on for six or seven episodes. Yeah. And then have it end tragically, I don't think. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> Riker's one who's saying to Deanna, nothing will change between us, will it? <laughs> and and I thought, well, you know, what part will or won't change? <laughs> You know, the the whole, like, making out on distant planets uh, or or sex after a poker game. You know, what what part of it is he not expecting to change? Because they do have this intimate and sometimes physical relationship. And, by the way, Riker is doing the Riker thing, you know, every other episode yeah. with whatever other female they meet on another planet. Would Soren be okay with that? I, you know. He keeps a <laughs> horgon on his desk. He does. He does. <laughs> Just in case anybody who's been to Rise and stops by. <laughs> oh, oh, I see you have a horgon here. I yeah. see you're proudly displaying your horgon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's something about that that, you know, um, when when you and I start to watch an episode of Star Trek, we we sort of starting with the premise that that we're getting behind whatever the premise is that that is the episode. You know, whatever they're trying to tell us this week, and however they're letting the characters behave this week, we're we're sort of going to go with it, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's what we'll base our discussion on. But there's something about this that I want to follow this relationship, and, and I I want to deepen the relationship and my understanding of the relationship that he has with Deanna. But there's something about this. It just feels so out of place that at this point he would choose to come to her and say, yep, I, I'm in love with somebody. So um, yeah, boy, my, my life's about to change. Well, let's go back and, to Carmen again, though. I mean, mm-hmm. the only way this ends is Soren gets on the enterprise with them. 
The only way this ends as a romance, rather, as a happily ever after romance, because he's mm-hmm. not moving to Janai. And yeah, so, right. so and, and, you know, again, the whole Carmen thing, Carmen's great when Carmen's around or Carmen's great when Riker's around. Right. Yeah. But I mean, none of, neither of them are actually talking about changing their lives, even when they're talking about even when they're talking about, you know, her, her building a home there and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a someday kind of thing. Yeah. I, right. I mean, it, how this conversation with Deanna ends is so I may need bigger quarters because they're going to be two of us, you know, instead of just the one. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, so maybe you can justify it that way. But, yeah, it does seem to happen awfully quickly. But, I mean, again, Worf was walking at the beginning of last week's episode. <laughs> he was paralyzed in the middle of last week's episode. Right. He was walking again at the end of last week's episode. And, and now he's punching people out in this episode. Yeah, now he's, like, yeah. jumping off of things. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. They're like, I thought yeah. they were laying on the ground. Then all of a sudden he, like, rolls over and he's, like, standing. Like, wow, that's, mm-hmm. man, that new spine of his is working great. So good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about gay rights, Ken. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's kind of the centerpiece of this episode. And, and I talked before about uh, just a little bit of the context for Star Trek of when this episode fell. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that again a little bit more in the wrap-up because I, I think that's a good place for it. But there was something that I uh, – first of all, going into this, something that I like about the idea – that um, this is a really complex picture of somebody who's living on this planet where she is, for lack of a better word, closeted and describes the experience of all these other people that she knows of or knows about who have gone through that same uh, lifetime of you know ridicule and shame and abuse and this potentially abusive therapy. And I thought... You know, I wanted to kind of read a little bit more to get some understanding about the history of gay rights movements in the U.S. in particular. Um, And it was very interesting for me to see that in the English-speaking world, you find advocates from the 18th century, you know, like uh, publicly written pamphlets and and people advocating uh, uh, rights and and a, a more open lifestyle for people who are gay, mm-hmm. and then kind of the the pendulum swings back to a less accepting uh, position during the Victorian era. And I'm only just kind of looking at this as kind of like from you know from about the Revolutionary War forward but but this is kind of the period that i'm thinking of and then you fast forward a bit to the 20th century and i had only learned very recently about the mattachine society which emerged in the 1950s in the u.s and and it became one way that men and women could find each other could talk about their issues and start some form of public acceptance advocacy and you know we talk about the kind of the conservative period of the 50s and then leading up to the sexual revolution of the 60s and it was interesting for me to read that that the Mattachine society operated as cell groups you know very much like underground resistance fighters in in World War II where not everybody knew the names or locations of everybody else because they were so terrified about being found out and mm-hmm. so terrified about being infiltrated and being shut down. But the, this is kind of the the birth of the modern gay rights movements in, in the U.S. is going back to the Mattachine Society in, in that period. And um, 
So that just gave me a little bit of historical context to, to think about this. And one thing that I think is interesting that I, I heard maybe somebody talking about on another podcast. I can't remember the exact source of it. But it was an interesting position to take. And they were talking about where we are with modern gay rights. And, and there is still sort of this argument that comes along with it of people arguing whether or not one's orientation is a choice or if they are born that way. And the position that I found that was so interesting and so important to be able to accept and, and to absorb is that the question is irrelevant. And I think this episode does a pretty good job of spelling that out as well, that if we claim to be an enlightened species that celebrates diversity and individual freedoms, mm -hmm. then in either case— People have a right to pursue their sexual identities and their preferences however they see fit. Whether you fall down on the side that says that this is a purely natural process of evolution or that this is somehow choice at play. Um, a number of years ago, I, uh, I read a lot of books by Dr. John Money, and he is certainly a figure uh, that is not without controversy, but he is somebody who throughout his professional career, really kind of laid the groundwork for how we talk about the differences in gender, preference, and identity, and sexual preference and identity. So he really kind of lays out that. A uh, couple of books of his that I recommend, Love Maps and uh, Gay, Straight, and In Between, where he talks about sort of the complexity of of issues that basically make people into the sexual beings that they are. Um, really terrific stuff. He passed away, I want to say, about 10 years ago. Uh, but he left behind a huge legacy of work. Like I said, some of that work is controversial. Some of that certainly can be debated and questioned. But I think the groundwork that he laid is quite interesting. And it helps to put kind of uh, a scientific understanding on the political and social understanding that comes along with uh, with the, the gay rights movement, not just talking about gay men or lesbian women and their particular fight for rights, but I think what this whole episode gets into for us now, which is a whole realm of sexual identity, gender identity, and preference. So, um, so there you go. That's <laughs> just a little, a little background of where I'm coming from with that. So let's move on with the episode, shall we? Um, sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, dude, I, am, I, uh, I think I told you before I didn't want to do this show. I didn't want to do today's show. Why is that? Well, initially my, my concern was that I was going to offend somebody, but now I'm just offended that we have to do the show. And I don't mean that mm -hmm. we have to talk about this. I mean I'm angry. I'm angry that this matters to anyone. And if it sounds, I mean, it just, it just, it just, it just, it. Yeah. Because it doesn't. It's none of your business. I mean, where it matters, where we have to talk about it now is because there are people who are so intolerant that it matters to them. And, and, and except it doesn't actually matter to them. They're just making it their business. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't, and I can't. Okay. So what's going on with Crate? in this episode, right? Okay. If everything that Soren says is true, and we have no reason to believe that it's not true, then Soren can mm. be swoony, 
over mm-hmm. another being without being gendered herself. I'm going to call her herself because she identifies as female in the episode. Okay, but sure. but yep. but yep. all Kreit sees is that Soren is into someone. Now that someone that she's into happens to be a guy, but that doesn't necessarily mean or happens to be male, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Soren uh, is is trending female. Now, and it turns out she is, yeah. but it shouldn't matter. I mean, because the first thing that Kreit sees is that Soren has an interest in someone else. Yeah. And th- and that's yeah. where Kreit puts her foot down or that's where Kreit puts Kreit's foot down. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's just not going to happen. Because apparently, Crite thinks, "Oh, well, it, it, that person is a, is is male, so this other person can't possibly love him without uh, identifying as female," which mm-hmm. uh, is not you know terribly enlightened. But yeah, here's the other question: Who cares? I mean, I know their whole society is built on this idea, but maybe I want to read like the historical whatever, like like did like did the battle of the sexes actually turn into a battle? Was it like mm-hmm. instead of Angel One, where women ended up, um, you know, prevailing and and men were subservient, or unlike Earth for a majority of our history, uh, where where men prevailed and women were um, thought less of and and treated as as lesser and and weaker and all of that. Um, I mean, did they actually did it did it turn into a bloody thing where there's like okay, you know what, we're done with gender entirely. I mean, I I, I, kind of want to know that because otherwise, why are they so freaked out? But then again, why are we so freaked out? Just shut up. Just shut up and go away. Leave every, I mean, just. (laughs) If you go that direction, though, it kind of almost sounds like a Vulcan thing with that. They had to purge themselves of their emotions, which so that they could arrive at a logical state so they wouldn't kill each other. Which, by the way, watching Mm -hmm. this episode did make me wonder why again we prize the vulcans as much as we do both as viewers and in the federation oh man i love the way you've just completely tamped down any natural feeling you would actually have that's just great (laughs) you guys should like lead you know we should all look up to the fact that that you won't even crack a smile if you smile we know something is very very wrong (laughs) <laughs> it, I mean, it did make me think about that, but that's not what this episode is about. I think part of what you're asking is something that comes back to when we have episodes of Star Trek that address kind of the big topics like religion and uh, political positions. And that's that when you're talking about sexual identity, when you're talking about gender identity, you're talking about personal identity. So it's one thing to say to somebody like, oh, yeah, well, uh, we should be free to pursue who we are and what we are and what our preferences are. But there's something so deeply held about one's gender and about one's sexual preference and about one's sexual identity that as soon as something is different, then it raises suspicions and red flags, even if even if you've been raised with the idea to say that, uh, oh, well, well, people do have rights. You know, you can kind of separate yourself in that respect and say that people have rights. But I think what you're getting at here with uh, with Crite and why this is a debate and why society cares, and it's simply because, as Noor says at the end, well, we, we all want to be normal. We all strive to be normal. And as soon as somebody falls outside of what they deem to be normal, and they have all sort of tacitly agreed to what is normal, this genderless way of being. And that is that is their identity. That That is the identity that everything that they do is based upon. Mm-hmm. So anything that's not like that is threatening. 
It shouldn't be. I agree with you completely. It shouldn't be a debate. That shouldn't be a question. We shouldn't in the 21st century still have this as a political football. Right. Um, and yet it is. But, you know, th- this does a very nice job of turning that on its head and asking us to consider it from from another point of view. It does a great job of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as... I personally don't think it's quite as bonk bonk on the head as let that be your last battlefield, but it's close. Mm-hmm. It's close mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's but it's not quite, but it's close. Um yeah, I found myself I just I uh, I want to curse. I, I mean I I found mm-hmm. I find yeah. I, I find myself getting angry. Okay, so like like um what I need is your understanding and your compassion. Is what mm-hmm. uh, is what Soren says uh, to the council, yep. uh, the people who are going to you know send her away for brain training. Um, <laughs> I would also settle. Uh, I, I just I kind of wish she had just like you know it, what would be better actually is if you mind your own business. In fact, why don't we amend that? What I need is for you to mind your own business. And barring that, if you insist on concerning yourself with what I do regarding gender and sexuality, be understanding. The problem that I have with you when she says I need your compassion is uh, um, I looked up in the dictionary even. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. I opened a dictionary. <laughs> uh, compassion is defined as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Soren deciding she's female is not the suffering or misfortune. Somebody mm-hmm. being gay or or somebody being bisexual or somebody being pansexual is not the is not the is not the source of the suffering the source of the suffering is other people then wanting to hit them with sticks or wanting mm-hmm. to yell at them mm-hmm. or wanting to mm-hmm. wanting to you know shun them or send them out to the to the you know to the edges or fringes of society or or to, or to stuff them in the shadows Soren says she needs compassion but i mean what she needs is for <laughs> i'm going to go back to where i was is for people mm-hmm. to mind their own business this does not this neither affects nor concerns them. And I know yeah. there I I know I know because we've gotten them before. We're going to get emails from people who are going to tell me why I'm wrong. And that's fine. You are more than welcome to agree with that or disagree with me and you're more than welcome to email me. That's fine. And I'll read it. I really will. But <laughs> I won't I I I cannot imagine how I'm going to agree with you. Now listen. People oftentimes then say, "Well, what about what about kids? What about Predatory, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you're talking about different things there, and you need yeah. to understand that. Yeah. One has nothing to do with the other. There, there are straight predators. There are gay predators. There are predators. And protecting children is about protecting children. And if your next-door neighbor is gay, that has nothing to do with your kid. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Here, here. I'm borrowing Preach. anger. I apologize. No, I'm borrowing yeah. anger that has not been sent my way yet. But you do, you do have our email address, and I look forward to reading it. No, but here's the thing. We're we're talking today about an episode that's 25 years old, mm-hmm. and it was touching a hot point issue back then that should not still be a hot point issue now. Okay, but yeah. what's interesting is that that issue has widened, and it's not just you know. I said to you earlier in a in a text leading up to this that I feel like the good guys are winning. Mm-hmm. Slowly, but they're winning. Mm-hmm. You know, a few years ago, Prop 8 failed in California. But then shortly after, gay marriage came back. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, for one, George Takei is a very happy man about that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, 
so the good guys are winning when it comes to that. But what's happening is you have the, the pendulum swinging the other way again. Uh, that's why I wanted to talk about kind of the history of how these rights happened. The pendulum swinging the other way. And now we've got this new battleground when it comes to not just gay or straight identity, but transgender, transsexual, um, all sorts of other expressions of identity and sexuality. Yeah. So so this is sort of a new battleground that we're facing in the early 21st century that, again, should not be of anybody's concern. Yeah, I'll be, um, I'll be honest. I have a harder yeah. time getting my head around uh, gender identity as, as opposed to, um, as opposed to uh, a lot of the other steps that we've talked about. But here's the mm-hmm. thing. That doesn't make me want to pick up a hammer. I mean, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make me want to, you know, start painting signs. I mean, what that says is, okay, well, there's another bit. Okay, so I'm I'm having a hard time, like, knowing which words I should use which times. But I'm having an even harder time understanding why people care. Unless it is, you know, unless it's every time you find out something new, it just makes you angry. Because, doggone it, you thought you'd stopped learning already. You thought you were done. You thought you'd already picked up. I got cool with that thing, and now there's this thing. That's it. I mean, I don't. <laughs> but you, you know what? But, but that's okay. I mean, it, it fast forward another generation or two. Yeah. Language changes. Language evolves. Yeah. You and I are going to be sort of on the you know the outside end of that because I, I love it that in this episode Riker says, "Look, I have a hard time picking the right pronoun." <laughs> to yeah. to discuss you. This is a difficult thing. And I give a lot of credit to, to Riker. It's okay for that to be difficult for you. It's okay for you to not get what's going on. But we're right on the cusp of this for real, where pronouns are changing. Yeah. They, the word they, has been redesignated to also refer to an individual, not just a group. And to be quite honest, that used to drive me insane on Facebook. But I, I'm over it now. I'm okay. over it now. But literally, if, you, if you're friends with somebody and you see uh, their profile picture changed, so it would say, Ken Ray changed their profile picture. Hmm. Not Ken Ray changed his profile picture. Yeah. That would drive me insane. I, you know, the, the copy editor in me would come out and just want to, you know, mark up my screen. But that has changed because they can now refer to an undesignated individual. Now, it gets even more complicated. Z and Zier, like Z-E and Z-I-R, also X-E and a whole bunch of others mm-hmm. are gaining in popularity as gender neutral pronouns. It's going to be hard for you or I or other people who have spent decades on this planet learning he or she to pick that up. But there may be times that that, you know, is the right word to use, the right phrase to use. And as Riker points out, what you have to do is ask. What you have to do is announce that you are having difficulty knowing, and then you have to ask. And then when you get the answer, you have to accept the answer. Okay, this person prefers this. So just so I'm clear, then you're asking a whole generation of Americans and, you know, to to say, hey, I don't know something. Yeah, right. I know. Publicly, you're asking them to say that? Mm, It's going to be a tough one. By the way, I'm fine with XE, but I have a problem with ZE and ZR because I, I think of those as being Kryptonian. Oh yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. that's, you know that's just going to be too. That's going to be too distracting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, But but here's the thing. I, I think in all of that, it's okay to admit that we don't know and that this is sort of tricky territory, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you remember Pat on Saturday Night Live as a Julia Sweeney character? I do. 
Okay, so for those who don't remember, Pat was this character that was very androgynous. Yeah, like it was actually in the theme song. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. So thick black curly hair, big thick black glasses, and the the body tape, the way they padded Julia Sweeney, and the type of clothes that they picked, and then the name Pat, which could be male or could be female. And the whole joke of the sketch was the people around Pat trying to figure out if Pat was male or female. And it's hilarious. And then Pat would <laughs> always know? give, like, so when they would ask some sort of question, mm-hmm. um, then Pat would give an, an answer that was just as, just as ambiguous. <laughs> right, right. But, but here's the thing, that it, it's okay, because pattern recognition is how we see the world. You know, politically, we should be egalitarian as possible. Of course we should. But as upright primates who also happen to notice and respond to gender differences, that's all right. So I I can't fault Riker or any other human in this episode for being a little uneasy and needing to kind of retrain their brains a little bit to make all that fit. It's not biologically how they grew up. It's not what they were evolutionarily built for. So, So that's okay. But then Riker does the right thing by saying, hey, how do we how do we meet how do we converse mm. and uh, you know how do we get to know each other now he's lucky that the one that he ended up with was the female who actually liked him romantically in that respect that probably made that transition a little bit easier yeah um but <laughs> but starting out starting out where they were that uh I, I gotta say that it's okay. I give Riker a pass. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go two different directions on that. Sure thing. Uh, the, the serious one and then the joke one. Okay. The serious one is Riker was being 100% professional mm-hmm. until Soren started showing an interest. So yeah. I think had he been working with Kreit the whole time, he might have accidentally stumbled and said he or she, but otherwise he would have been you know completely professional and then done. I do think it was mm-hmm. actually um, I think it was uh, Soren's interest in Riker. That sort of made him then able to say, yeah, this is kind of weird for me because, I mean, they're, they're you know, graduating in their relationship right. uh, fairly right. quickly. Um, the, the joke response is, you say, luckily, uh, he, uh, he happened to be with the person who um, found him attractive. I say, luckily, it's Riker. <laughs> All right now, other computer. Yeah. Now, what is cooler than being cool? Ice cold. I cannot hear you. I say what is. What is cooler than being cool? Ice cold. All right, 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 all right. So I will tell you honestly, one of the things in the last segment that upset me most, I was afraid I was going to start cursing. So I didn't. Yay. Yay. I'm very excited about that part. And I'm all small victory. Well, it's okay. You have no idea. Herculean <laughs> is what I would say on this side, my friend, but all right. Of course, I do have the bleed button, so I always could have taken care of it. Hey, it is time to figure out uh, – it's time to do the the, uh, the the summation on the outcast. Uh, this is the part of the show where we figure out the messages, morals, and meanings or talk about the messages, morals, and meanings and decide whether or not the whole episode um, stands the test of time, um, whether it holds up, if you will. And I'll start with that question, Mr. John Champion. The outcast uh, doesn't hold up. Well, can I ask you something first? Do you think that this episode would have been better, worse, or the same if male actors had played the roles of the Janai? Um, 
Uh, I don't know. I, it's it's an interesting question. It would be it would honestly be harder to believe uh, here because let's I mean let's talk about the realities of production. Mm-hmm. I personally, as a a straight, uh, I don't even know what the terms are anymore. I'm sorry. It, uh, cis, it, cisgendered. Okay, yeah. cisgendered male. Yep. A, a straight cisgendered male. A straight cisgendered male who is attracted to women. Um, I it, 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 the woman who's playing Soren is is at the very least cute. And 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 I don't think we've ever had Riker deal with someone romantically who wasn't, you know, on some level attractive. Western sure. classical yeah, female, whatever. Yeah, the, on the pages of Look magazine. I mean, yeah. standard. I don't. Uh, all of these terms are offensive <laughs> to someone. I understand that she's a cute woman. She is someone that if she didn't have that forehead. Um, would automatically be somebody that Riker would be into because Riker is automatically into women. I mean, he just because yeah, she's Amy from the A team. Well, she's Amy so, from the yeah. A team from the Amy team originally. Yeah. Um, right. So I mean, you know, uh, Lol. She honestly looked a little bit like Lol, who was kind of cute, mm-hmm. and and who Riker hit on you know, like the second he saw her, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I guess if you're going to make that character played by a male actor instead of a female actor. Do you still have it be Riker who falls in love? Because because while Riker and it's cute that Riker says what I really look for is a smart woman. I mean, you said it in the recap. His answer is all of them, yeah. because his answer is in fact all of them. Now, maybe we're seeing some character growth here in that Riker falls in love with somebody who is not the traditional stereotypical whatever. But think about his perfect woman, Minuet. Minuet knows the stuff that he knows. She laughs at his jokes, and she's she's a she's a stunner from the pages of a of a of a, a Dashiell Hammett novel, right? So, do I think it would have been better or worse? It, it it's difficult for me to say. I mean, because the other thing is, I can't see anybody casting that in 1992 for for uh, television that's going to go out to all across the country. I don't know. Do you think it would be, you think it would have been better? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I brought it up because that was something that was kind of a point of contention. It, mm. Some people felt the show didn't go far enough mm. by not having men cast in the role of the Janai. It would have been it would have been a better statement. Mm-hmm. It would have been a more. But then, okay. So then, here's the question. So then, do you have the the male uh, seeming? Or the male? Uh, the, do you have the male actor Janai identify as female at that point? I mean, are you saying the only thing you change is that casting, but not the script? Right. Yeah. I. I, I don't know. I think it would have affected the script. Um, well, no. I mean, go back to Code of Honor. No, not Code of Honor. What's the one where where it was uh, it's a bunch of black guys in it? Yeah, Code of Honor. It was Code of Honor. Okay, yeah, but yeah. then when you did the recap, you read it without mentioning race at all, and suddenly it didn't seem like a racist episode. Right. So, I mean, you could have cast that completely differently, not change the script, but change the timber of that episode entirely. Mm-hmm. So you're saying it would change the script if you had made it male, but, I mean, they're just actors. I mean, these are people without gender, theoretically. There's being played by women. Yeah. Right? Well, perhaps so, then. What I found myself wondering about, actually, in the last segment was we were talking about, oh, so it's very difficult that we can't say he or she. We have to say they, or we don't know what mm-hmm. we're going to say exactly. And I'm thinking, so a Benzite comes on the show, right? Mm-hmm. And these are the blue guys with the things in front mm-hmm. of their mouths because they can't even breathe air. Right. And we're like, hey, dude, what's up? Because we yeah. can say dude, right? Right. <laughs> right. The Benzite, you know, I'm sorry, what do I call it? 
I'm a dude. Oh, okay. Sorry, Benzite. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm totally cool with you. You can't even breathe oxygen, but I'm, I'm like, I totally get you. But you, you know, which calls a shuttle a shuttle. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say to you. Well, anyway, the, the reason uh, I the reason I bring it up is that it <laughs> was contentious, and and Jonathan Frakes himself said that maybe maybe they should have been cast with men. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And and maybe then that would have made this episode statement be even stronger. But to your point, and I think it's a really important point. How does that episode play in? You know, Selma, Alabama. How does mm. it play in Paducah, Kentucky? Okay. Yeah. How you does know? it play in Boston, Massachusetts? Just don't don't just name places in the South. No, I know. I but but I'm trying to think of small towns. <laughs> you okay. know. Oh, okay. How does how does it play in Worcester, Massachusetts? Then. Yeah. 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 All right. So I, I think that, you know, they're faced with the reality of the show they had to produce and the show that had to get out there and be seen. And mm-hmm. to their credit, you push the envelope as far as you can. But if you push it so far, then that nobody will hear your message at all, then maybe there's no point in making that, you know. So this is 25 years into the history of Star Trek, and they're finally starting to grapple with this idea. So what I'm coming to is that in 25 years, I think they did a pretty good job. Um, Maybe not as much as some people would have liked, maybe not in the way that some people would have liked, but... Mm -hmm. This, to me, I'm glad that you mentioned Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, because this, to me, is kind of like that episode. It's really on the nose, but it's kind of perfect for being that way. It's Star Trek dipping into advocacy again, and I like it. Um, So this episode aired just a little more than 20 years after the Stonewall riots in New York. Um, And remember, I was talking about kind of the history of gay rights in, in America and that was kind of the culmination of that. That that was kind of the explosion when in New York City, uh, the Stonewall Bar was being harassed constantly by the cops, you know, arresting and kicking these gay men out of this bar. And then finally they'd had enough and they took to the streets. And that's what precipitated what we know now as the modern gay rights movement. Um, so you can talk about all the things that Star Trek didn't do or maybe didn't do them the way you think they could have or should have. But mm-hmm. this is at least one great example of making a story out of something topical and relatable. And and here we are today. And we've come a very long way, but there's still way more to go. We still have horrendous, abusive, quote-unquote, gay conversion therapy in some some places. Mm-hmm. And homosexuals can still be put to death in some parts of the world. Fortunately, not in America, but there are places where that happens. And now we're fighting a new frontier of acceptance and progressive rights for people who fall elsewhere on the sexual and gender identity spectrum. So this episode is relevant then. It it took Mm -hmm. a little slice of a story to tell. And it's relevant now because now we're, we're still in the same argument, just with slightly different players. So... It's great that the episode is relevant. It's great that it's a well-done episode. It's frustrating as hell, like you say, that this is still a story we have to tell. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the episode holds up. I think it's kind of quintessential Star Trek the same way that Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is quintessential Star Trek. Um, So it's a must-watch. And it is acted very well. 
is performed yes. and produced very well. So um, how about you, sir? When the woman that plays Soren, I didn't, I don't know how I missed it um, on first watching, but I'm amazed when she's delivering that monologue. She's crying while she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the monologue that says, I mean, something that we, we should just know. I mean, what she's saying is, I'm you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. She's yeah. saying, I'm you. I think about, I think about what your, your argument in one of the supplemental things that we did, and I'm going to spoil Star Trek Beyond for somebody who hasn't seen it, and hopefully you have. Um, the, the argument uh, that was sort of being had around whether or not you make a character, whether or not you make a gay character, is whether or not you make a gay character or whether you make a character who's also gay. Yeah. Uh, for people who don't know, and I can't imagine that you're into this show and don't know, uh, in the Kelvin timeline, it has been revealed that, uh, that Sulu is gay. And it's not a big deal. Because Sulu is still the guy who sits at the helm. Sulu is still the guy who, eh, two or three people down, is going to command the Enterprise if, if it comes to it. Sulu is still the guy who can grab a sword if if there's no phaser available and probably defend you better than he could with a phaser. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sulu is exactly who Sulu has always been. And it turns out it never was important what his personal life was like to you because you weren't dating him or yeah. you weren't trying to. Right, right. And had you been and you're a man, hey, good news. And had you been and you're a woman, yeah, you might be barking up the wrong tree there. Have you, have you, met, have you met Commander Riker, though? <laughs> I mean, I love, so when she delivers that monologue, it's just an absolutely fantastic monologue. And I hate, I hate, I hate that we actually have to say that. But I love the fact that they said it and they said it so succinctly. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know what I do when I'm sad? I cry. You know what I do when I'm happy? I laugh. If you prick us, do we not bleed? There you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I do with my partner when those things happen? The same thing you do with your partners when those things happen. So shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. I want to talk really quickly about the production itself. There are things in the production and the writing that I love. I love the fact that when Soren confesses her feelings or admits her feelings for Riker to Riker, her face is in shadow. Mm. And when she admits it, and when she starts really talking about it, she comes into the light. Mm-hmm. And that is almost too on the nose for me, but I loved it. We've talked before about how I love when they move the camera. Like when yeah. something actually happens with the camera, when something actually happens with lighting. I don't know who thought of that, but it, it, it can't have been an accident. It's so beautiful. She's under the panel and her face is fully lit and she sits up a little bit and says, I, I have something I need to tell you. And at that point, she's in the shadows. And the next thing she's going to do is she's going to come out of the shadows. Yeah. God bless. <laughs> that is such a beautiful moment. Yeah. <sighs> and I also like the null space thing. Um, the pocket of null space um, has been there since the formation of the galaxy. But they had not encountered it. And so it was a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a family member who, who uh, went to school, high school in the 1960s, who once said, um, this was a long time ago. And I know this family member's understanding has changed considerably since then, but mm-hmm. uh, this family member said, we didn't have homosexuals in my high school. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> yeah, you did. It's uh. just you never encountered it and they weren't able to say, and they may not have been able to say to themselves, may not have been comfortable enough with themselves, let alone saying to the entire student body. 
it feels to me like the null space thing actually could be a great stand-in for any societal issue or any issue that society sees as its business, whether it is or not. Religion, atheism, interracial relationships, political philosophies, uh, various practices and attitude having to do with gender and sexuality. The list goes on and on. These things are there, and and you know you like your next door neighbor until you find out oh he's an atheist oh he's a communist mm-hmm. oh he's a Muslim oh he's gay mm-hmm. you know you're fine with it until this thing comes up and it really shouldn't be a thing but suddenly it's a thing um, and I love the fact how the null space going back again to what was going on between Soren and Riker in that conversation things are going fine they're flying along in space just fine. She's under the panel. Her face is lit. She, then she goes into shadow. Then she comes back out of the shadow. And and this, I think, is where Riker starts to think, okay, see, I thought there was something I wasn't sure. And they, they clip the null space. Mm-hmm. And when they clip the null space, the ship starts rocking. Things start turning. And it, and, and it actually becomes, yes, it's more difficult, but, you know, theoretically, they should all be okay. And, and so, I mean, on, on so many levels, it wasn't just the – because, yeah, it's fairly bonk, bonk on the head – but then uh, the, I mean, the artistry that went into illustrating with this as well, yeah, um, I thought was uh, this is a this is a um, this is a great episode in a lot of ways. Would it have been stronger if they had cast males? Maybe. Do I hate the ending? Absolutely. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think this is actually a this is a fantastic episode that does hold up. You know, the, the ending is tough to get through because I, I think about. You know, our discussion of First Contact. Not the movie, the episode. No, 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 in the episode, yeah. In First Contact, you were frustrated at the end of that. These people are not going to achieve, or at least not in any reasonable time, they're not going to achieve what they could. Right. And you want Star Trek to be this sort of shining beacon of showing people the way to achieve the things that they can. And in this episode, we end with the just the punch to the gut that a part of this woman has been taken away. Mm-hmm. Well, you know? um, in, in fairness, but it's the reality of their planet. It wasn't. It was not just in first contact. It wasn't just that those people weren't going to make it. It was the fact that most people weren't even in on the decision or the discussion. Right. Right. Sure. I mean, first contact actually sure. seems to me yeah. to be a, kind, a tiny bit worse because a truth is mm-hmm. known. That truth is out there, but that truth is going to be kept away from people. Um, what's happening on this planet is actually. Worse on some levels, I think, because society has gotten together and decided, no, yeah. no, no, these people are reprehensible. Let's yep. let's do something about them. Yep. What about messages, sir? Uh, there might be one or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What about the you, way you the know, messages were delivered? Then, I mean, maybe this would have been a better question to ask yeah. about whether they should have been cast as male or female. But, but yeah, yeah. maybe I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, this is an episode where. W- we could you, know, you could do a whole show on one central theme. I think the stuff with the the gender roles that we explore on the Enterprise, you have Worf scene, you've got Beverly scene. Those are all interesting. Those could all be picked apart. The central idea here is about gay rights. Mm-hmm. And it's about, uh, as we've said over and over in this episode, it's nobody's business. It, it's There's this idea that... You know, the further you stand away from the problem, you can pretend like it doesn't exist. But at some point, then you have to confront and and get past your own prejudice and your own beliefs to realize that there are other people who are not like you that can be accepted, that should be accepted. Because you know what? They are you. They are just like you. I remember 
So I think the first season I did, it was about 10 years old. I was in a production of A Christmas Carol. And there was this guy in the cast who was probably in his 20s. And he was hilarious. Mm -hmm. And he was very over-the-top and flamboyant and just, you know, the the center of attention Mm -hmm. always. And I didn't think anything of it other than that this is the hilarious guy in the cast that everybody wants to be around because he's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And at some point toward the end of the run of the show, I remember figuring out, I can't remember who said or or what it was that I pieced together in my 10-year-old mind – Oh, he's gay. And 10-year-old me was kind of devastated by this. And I don't know why, but but I, I think in retrospect, it's this thing about here's somebody who is not like me. And because he's not like me, I can't relate anymore. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this conversation with my mom, probably. And what it turned into was... Like we were talking about Sulu, nothing's actually changed. Mm -hmm. This is still the same funny guy that everybody likes to hang out with. This is still the same center of attention, the same over-the-top performer that people like. It doesn't matter (laughs) that he's not the same as you. Mm -hmm. So basically get over it. (laughs) Get used to it, you know. (laughs) And that's a great lesson to learn at a young age. Yes. And and I can't say that, you know, going through my teenage years that that I I always stayed perfectly true to that philosophy. But but I I certainly – that's certainly an important memory for me, and and it certainly shapes – kind of my attitudes now you know so that that ties into this idea of we have to be able to see other people for who they are not not simply a label that we apply um and tied to that no one no one should have to live a lie about who they are and yet there are people who still feel that way like i said earlier in the show things are better but there's a long way to go. There are still people who feel like they have to live in a shadow that they can't come about who they are and and what they are. And that's incredibly sad. Um, we also say a lot during the poker game, uh, it's wrong to presume about people who are different than you. Um, and, and for every bit of progress that we may have had there, well, e- even in the 24th century, there may be some ways to go. Um, but yeah, at, at its heart, this is a piece about um, individual identity. It's about gay rights. It's about acceptance. It's about public acceptance. Um, and, and I love that Star Trek is being an advocate in that respect. Mm. Um, you you want to throw in eight or ten more because I I know they're out there. No, I've only actually I've only got one other thing that I wanted to that I wanted to hit on. Um, mm-hmm. I wish they had let Jordy back in the poker game b- mm. because I wish that Worf's whatever. Mm-hmm. Had actually been handled by someone else. We expect Worf to be uh, fairly binary in his attitudes: male, female, okay. strong, weak, right, wrong, right. Yeah. And I would have been fine with Worf being annoyed at the weakness of the Federation rules, but but when it comes to the actual like discomfort and distrust of the Janai, mm-hmm. I really wish that that had been from somebody that you wouldn't expect it from, because mm-hmm. Worf is always going to be that. You know, yeah, and right, and Worf's right. going to come around as well. I mean, that's something that happens with Worf, you know, over and over and over again. But that's uh, Worf felt like Archie Bunker in that scene to me, in a way. Yeah, 
and yeah. and I wish we I, I would it would have been more jarring if it had been Jordy, honestly, or if mm-hmm. it had been somebody besides Worf. Um, that said, I like the fact that Worf did, and this is more character development. I think I like the fact, and you joked about it in the recap. Um, I like the fact that Worf, who is at the very least distrustful of the Janai, uh, backs Riker in this. I mean, this is more yeah. character development, like yeah. I say, than message. But I like the fact that you know Worf isn't following the orders of his commanding officer, but standing by his friend, even in yeah. the face of uh, I don't know if you want to go as far as to call what Worf felt prejudice. Although I guess maybe it is. Um, yeah, I guess you would have to call it that. So even in the face of his own prejudice, he's still standing with his friend. Uh, then, of course, again, he is trying to get somebody out of the situation that he sees as prejudicial. So maybe that <laughs> isn't the best example. <laughs> right. But um, I that's and that's not even something to fault, except that it's like Worf starts these things and it's like you, you, you almost want to roll your eyes like, oh, Worf, you just that's that's just so Worf. And it is just so Worf. And I think it would have actually hurt me if it had been another character. But I think it's important that that actually hurt you, not you personally, John. Not not even people listening. But I mean, <laughs> I think I think for maximum yeah. impact, it needs to come from somebody that you don't expect it from. I mean, say, he loves everybody. He's just the greatest. Guy. What did he just say? Do you know right. what I mean? Right. I mean, that's. I mean, right. you you kind of need that. I I wish that it had just that that little bit of a um, that little bit of a punch. But that's just yeah. that's just yeah. honestly me going back and reworking something that is that is really just I think a tremendous, uh, tremendous episode anyway. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. Not only about the stuff that Roddenberry Entertainment is doing, but check out the very good work of the Roddenberry Foundation. That's all at Roddenberry.com. You can find more exciting Star Trek podcasts at Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, cause and effect. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The Outcast lyrics were fun. Is there an episode called Rush by any chance? I would also be happy with an episode called Pink Floyd. And transmission. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.